This is Laree Daniel Favors, and welcome to The Hub. We've had a number of conversations about the politics of black beauty because it's not just about how we feel about ourselves, although that is certainly a part of it. There are political considerations. There are entrepreneurial and business economic considerations that go into whether or not our community has the ability to revel in our beauty, to profit from our beauty, to promote uh, programs and policies that are going to enhance our ability to provide an economic sustainable means for ourselves as we engage in our beauty and our grooming practices, much of which makes a whole lot of communities a whole lot of money. Sometimes oh. those communities are not us. And joining me today are two folks, possibly three, we may be joined by a third in just a moment, technology permitting, uh, but two folks who are definitely able to help us understand even better what it is we're talking about when we grapple with some of these concepts. Uh, first up, we have Aaron H. Mabin, who is an accomplished licensed cosmetologist, educator, salon owner, and member of the New York State Appearance Enhancement Advisory Committee. As the Executive Vice President of Education Development for the Natural Hairstyle and Braid Coalition, Aaron is dedicated to transforming the field of texture education. She's got a passion for innovation and excellence and spearheads the organization's educational mission by devising and executing cutting-edge strategies. You see what we did? their cutting edge hair. Cutting I edge. It. I love it. Uh, and joining Erin is Deborah Hairbay. She is the CEO of Ohm Incorporated and Red Room Lux Studio. Uh, she is a licensed cosmetologist, master braider, and celebrity natural hair stylist. She is highly sought after for her expertise in healthy natural hair care and creative styling. Clients and celebrities alike rely on her because she's got the glamour, she's got the pizzazz, and she always comes through in a clutch and looks fabulous doing it all the time. Trust me, I know of that, which I speak. Uh, she is also a part of this amazing coalition, and I'm so grateful for both of you being with us today. Thank you for joining us once again for another segment on the politics of Black Beauty. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we have, it's going to feel like, like a weird sort of, you know, record scratch here, but folks, we're talking about beauty and regulations. Beauty and regulations today. And we have often said on this show that when you hear the word deregulation, what that should tell you or signal to you in some way is that someone is trying to stop rules of some sort, to take away rules. Remember, regulations like corporate entities can't pollute the earth by spewing toxic gas into the air, or uh, you can't pollute our oceans by dumping your toxic chemicals into the ocean. What prevents those corporations from, from dumping their toxic chemicals into the ocean or spewing their toxic gases into the air are regulations. Rules that say, hey, we've happened to had a chance to study what happens to the ocean when you dump toxic gas in. We've studied what happens when you spew toxic chemicals into the air, and it's bad for everybody, so we're going to create some rules that say you can't do that. When you hear people say deregulation, deregulation, which is often what one particular party promotes as was one of their central policies, what that means is somebody has implemented some rules in some way and other people want those rules to go away. But when it comes to beauty, Erin Mabin, uh, people may not be quite as clear as to the role that regulation plays in the beauty industry. Can you just give us a, a brief understanding as to how regulations and the beauty industry connect in some ways and clash in others? So I think, not I think, but regulation really, you know, for the beauty industry is necessary, especially when it comes to public safety and health. Um, because if you don't have regulations or standards or, you know, practices in place, then people will pretty much 
share tools with heads and that spreads, you know, bacterial infection and disease. Um, if they are not trained properly, again, malpractices, which call, can cause a loss of hair, mm. hair loss. Um, a lot of people suffer from traction alopecia and that is due to, you know, poor practices. Um, it, it's unfortunate that there is a sector of people because you you asked about, you know, how can dereg not deregulation, but the regulations, you know, are good for the beauty industry and how they kind of like can cause some issues. I guess it's not that they can cause issues or, or there's a problem. It's just that a lot of people don't feel that they should be regulated or there should be any rules because they've pretty much been doing this from birth. And that's wonderful and amazing. However, you might not understand scalp disease, right? You may not understand scalp disorders. You may think, oh, well, you know, throw some oil on that that I made in my kitchen. And that's wonderful and fine, but we have to get to the science of it, right? And the science of it may mean that you need a a, a specialist or a licensed professional that has a relationship, say, with a dermatologist, um, a doctor, mm -hmm. um, a trichologist. So that way you can get those different issues sorted out. And what happens a lot of times is the issues don't get sorted out. And then we have a lot of us suffering from hair loss mm. because we didn't we didn't catch the issue from the beginning. So regulation is a it's a funky space for this industry because a lot of people feel like, well, why do I need to be regulated? I've been doing this since I was born. And then there's a group of people that, you know, it should be regulated because we want to have standards, policies and procedures set in place so that way we can keep, you know, and elevate our industry and keep a standard. Because mm. if there's no standard, then you just have people just free, free, free nilly out there. Right. Just doing anything. You know, it's interesting because I, I know that there I, I heard the distinct sound of crunching toes. Uh, which to me is an indication that there are some folks out there who do believe, well, I've been doing hair since I was in my womb, my mother's womb. And and I'm do I'm so good at hair. I'm talented. People come to me. They say I have growing hands. I've got the best skills. I've got all the skills. I know how to do all the flips, the crimps, the, all the things. Who are you to tell me what rules I need? But then, Erin, you said you may be a great stylist, but you don't know about scalp disease. Deborah Hairbay, talk to us about some of the regulations that currently exist that you as a cosmetologist, someone who, who people come to you and trust that you're they're going to leave with their hair looking luscious and not just laid out on the floor. Give us an example. In addition to the ones that Erin just mentioned, what are some of the regulations that are in place right now that help to ensure that this industry remains healthy and viable? Whether you're a black cosmetologist, a white cosmetologist, just give us a sense as to some of the regulations that currently exist so we have a better understanding as to what you're talking about. You know, Erin did so well at laying out what is necessary and required for healthy hair care, right? Because that is what this is all about for us, right? Healthy hair care, mm -hmm. sustainable hair care, right? Where the whole body is being served because that's how we look at it. So the regulations that are necessary and required, I'm going to go back to just that jar barber side that you see. You know that that blue liquid that you're supposed to see that oh, helps it's to so sterilize. Y'all had a little combs and stuff in there. It's a little tube or jar of the blue liquid. Absolutely. It almost looks like ocean blue water, but I suspect it could <laughs> kill you. If Let me tell it. you something. If you don't see that run, right? And that's just at the small scale of all the expectation mm -hmm. that is put on us because we are professionals, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't 
use that word loosely. Professional is a tall order and is mandated by education and education is necessary. Now we're not talking about having the luxury of being born with this amazing skill, which I was by the way. Oh. However, I saw the need because I wanted to interface with our population properly and safely to go to school. Mm. Because they're mandatory things that as a hairstylist, I did not know. Right. And you often hear me say, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah, yeah. Right? Until you encounter it and you're like, oh my God. Now you may or may not let the customer know that, oh my God, I don't even know what this is, but I'm gonna continue because I don't, I don't know what else to do. So I'm just mm. going to braid her hair. And as Erin said, put a little oil on it and send her out the way. Mm. Or send her on her way, right? So there are so many. You know, the Natural Hair and Braid Coalition is absolutely about ethical, licensure, and education. It matters. And ethical was chosen specifically for what it represents. You know, I, I'm talented at, at a few things, Deborah Hare Bay. You know, I've always, I've been an advocate my whole life. I, I didn't need to go to law school to learn how to advocate. I have a clear eye as to what is just, what is unjust. And I've always been one of those folks who sort of fought for justice. But you wouldn't want someone who was naturally a good advocate representing you in court. Why? Because being a good advocate is just one part of it. You got to know the rules. You might be completely right on the law, but if you do not introduce your arguments to the court in a way that it can understand, your lack of of knowledge about how the rules and the regulations that determine what is considered evidence and what is not, you are going to, you and your client going to be out on your ear and your client going to owe a whole lot of money and you're going to get sued. Can't even be sued for malpractice because you ain't had the regulation, regulatory authority to practice law in the first place. Aaron, this idea that we're just naturally talented. African people have always been good at doing hair and I make oils in my kitchen all the time. I don't know what she's talking about. I make good oils. I can make all types of oils. They smell good. They look good. I make growing oils. I make growing oils. I pray over my oil. <laughs> oils girl my oils will grow some hair Aaron how come that's not enough to be considered useful in the professional realm of hair care so I'll tell you it's not enough one because oil is a sealant that's the first part oil does not moisturize um if you do want to use anything that moisturizes, you want to make sure the mo the molecule can be absorbed in your skin so that's a whole nother oh, well, now, hold on hold on hold on okay. hold on now now wait a minute I <laughs> use this oil in my mama's hair I use it on my kids hair ain't nobody ever said nothing to be about no sealing it look good it's shiny you you adding a whole lot of extra stuff to this now where'd you learn that cosmetology school Yes, pretty oh. much. And and one thing I did want to speak to going back to sanitation mm. and things like that. And this is I'm, I'm giving this to the world right now because I don't feel that a lot of stylists stand by this and especially after COVID. So after every client that you have, you are supposed to sanitize your station. You're supposed to get rid of the implements. They should not be reused on the next person because that is how things get spread. Your items should be washed with a cleanser, a cleanser, then in barbicide. And for me, I take it an extra, extra step and I put my stuff in a sterilizer, right? Mm. So these are things that you want to think about when you're, you know, thinking about bloodborne pathogens. I, I just want to really stress that point. And the other thing is your hairstylist should not have hair under their chair when you come in to sit down to be serviced because <gasps> that is unsanitary. What? All right. So I'm just putting that out there for the world mm. now. With the oils, I mean, you can make whatever you want. But the one thing that a lot of people don't recognize, again, with making products in your kitchen, when you make products, you actually have to have a sanitary sanitary environment. You should mm -hmm. have on gloves. Your um, Everything should be sanitary. 
There should be gloves. You shouldn't be, you know, putting this, uh, maybe you have a dipping item that you're taking from this jar and putting in here. You want to make sure that you're doing, using separate utensils, cleaning, and not using the same things over and over. So even with those products, you can contaminate them. Mm. And, you know, if you're doing that in your kitchen, okay, maybe you just contaminated somebody's head, right? And you just mm. don't know it because you're in your kitchen making a product that should be in a lab if huh. we want to just speak to it. Okay, so if we want to make things in our kitchen, I would say definitely make sure you have a sanitary space and you're using gloves, you're using sterile, you know, items, because otherwise you don't know what you could be doing to harm your client without knowing, right? Unknowingly. I just I want to take a moment here because even though we're, we're spending a little bit of time on this and I'm being a little facetious, I, I want to take a little <laughs> bit of time here because we sometimes think that raw talent is all that's necessary we sometimes in our community oh he good at dancing he should be on set oh she good at this raw talent is definitely a necessary ingredient mm -hmm. however african people were the first scientists we invented scientific methodologies that the world has yet to figure out or replicate so you didn't have on you know on the pyramids and, and on all these spaces that we sort of revere in our minds of black excellence and scientific expertise they weren't just whipping it up in the kitchen throwing things <laughs> over here and stuff dropping it there was cleanliness there was sanitate there were rules there were process we taught the world how to use soap folks we understand yes. germs we understood germs to the before other people People who lived in cold, colder, less melanated climates did. But the point I'm making is this. There are levels of expertise and we should be not just satisfied with settling for our raw talent. We should ensure that we are doing the education, that we're getting access to the skills that will build on our raw talent and allow us to truly become experts. Deborah Hare Bay, when we're thinking about regulations in the, the natural hair industry, there has been a real effort to deregulate. In the mm -hmm. cosmetology industry, I should say, not just in the natural hair industry. And there's actually been a, a particular slant of this conversation that has a lot of implications for black people who work in the natural hair care or, or frankly, just the, the cosmetology industry writ large. Talk with us about some of the debates that are currently happening when it comes to regulation versus deregulation for the types of licenses that many black women have secured in order to come out of their kitchens or their basements to, to take on a professional uh, hair care role. Talk with us about this debate, this tension that is currently brewing over regulation within the hair care community? Well, the very first thing that comes to mind is the one that we've been talking about mostly is that I'm skilled, I'm knowledgeable, I don't need anyone to tell me what to do. I got this and I've been doing it so I'm fine. Um, and in terms of that may sound great, right? And you have been doing it. However, we talked about how important the science of this hair care is, right? Mm -hmm. And the knowledge that's required to be able to do it in an ethical and in a healthy manner, mm -hmm. right? The other thing that we find a lot, we talk about being in our pocket, right? We don't necessarily want the government in our pocket. And I think that that is a large portion of it as well, because if you are regulated, you now have to pay your taxes, right? Yeah. But if you don't pay your taxes, how do you show what your income is? Mm. And so when you go to buy that million dollar house because you are making the large dollars, how do you do that, mm. right? Hmm. Insurance, that's another thing, right? So there's so many things that we negate, we don't think about um, 
because we are in our heads and we kind of want to stay in this cottage industry. And for the most part, ladies and gentlemen, it is a hobby Mm. if you don't take it to the next level. Mm. Mm -hmm. Sometimes a very costly hobby if you're not careful. Very costly. You know, Erin, when you hear what Deborah Hareberry just had to say, talk. there is another element of this debate um, that I've seen a bit, and I, I know that um, this has been an issue that's been a lot of concern for those of you who are part, uh, I should say those of us, because I, I still consider myself a member of the Natural Hairstyle and Braiding Coalition. Oh, I'm you just, are, honey. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Original, I'm in that space. The original yes. member. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> uh, but some of the initial conversations that we were having when this group was forming was this debate about licensure, license, license share. This idea that if you're going to be able to produce to provide natural hair care in a salon setting, for example, in the state of New York, you had to go to secure a license. And there are a number of folks who, you know, take the point that Deborah said and say, nope, I don't want to pay taxes. I'm saying completely under the book, off the books. I want everything in cash. I don't want to deal with this. I, I actually don't want to deal with insurance. I don't want to deal with it because this is my natural skill. There is a, a real conversation, a, a, a debate that's happening around licensing requirements requirements in the natural hair community. We know in some states and jurisdictions, if you want to focus on natural hair, you have to take you have to take classes in learning how to do other types of hair that ain't never going to sit in your chair. And there's a lot of folks who say, I shouldn't have to pay for all of these thousands of dollars of, and hours of cosmetology school that, to care for hair that is not my target market. My target market is black women, natural women. My hair care schools aren't going to teach me anything about that. Why should I have to go through that process? Give us your understanding as to where that debate is currently and why perhaps we do need to preserve licensing for natural hairstylists. What what exactly do you, how do you see that issue? So there's a couple of things happening right now. Um, there is, you know, happening across the nation that they're trying to include texture in cosmetology, right? Mm. Um, that curriculum, hey, you can't, you have to come here and you have to at least have some type of experience with, you know, this type of hair texture. Mm. Um it's important to, I don't want to say keep it separate, but it's in, it's important for the natural hair industry to stand on its own, right? It's its own industry. It's strong enough to not have to depend on cosmetology, mm-hmm. right? Cosmetology is really an introduction to all of the sectors, esthetician, nails, natural hair, you know, color, um, perms, straightening. It's an introduction. So it's really not a uh, focused curriculum. Yeah. Whereas with if you go into the natural hair, you know, in braid license, you're getting more of a focus on caring for the natural hair and and the needs that it, you know, it it, it needs. Um I just lost my train of thought. So you know bear with me. <laughs> no worries. Got off a plane. But I appreciate y'all. <laughs> y'all should have um, seen her getting off a plane, rushing in the room. I'm here. I'm ready. Yes, I'm here, y'all. I'm here. But I mean it's it's really just, you know, thinking of the natural hair industry as its own industry. Mm. It stands on its own. Mm. It, it doesn't need a a crutch. It doesn't need a uh you know, a high five from another industry because it is an eight and a half billion dollar industry. And we have to become more educated within this industry. Mm. It's very important. If if we don't know what's coming, what's going, if we don't understand, like we're learning more about our hair, you know, in the general market, I say in the last 10 to 15 years, right? We're learning more about it. We're seeing more people care. And then we notice also that those larger corporations or, you know, companies are noticing, oh, this is where the money is. So, Mm. you know, once they start coming to where the money is, 
it kind of dilutes it. So yeah. we have to make sure that's why the Natural Hairstyle and Braid Coalition is here so that we're making sure that we're elevating and preserving the natural hair legacy mm-hmm. because it's important. Our hair is important. Our hair has a history that is like no other. OK, even to this day. Yeah. I mean, the fact that it's 2023 and we're still talking about our hair being an issue. Yeah, I think that's absolutely asinine. Okay. Mm. And one thing I, I want to go back to the clean, cleanliness because this is a huge part of what we do. And the Dwafe comb is part of our logo. And we oh, chose that because yeah. it stands for beauty and cleanliness. That's important. Mm. Cleanly, you can't have good hair if it's not clean. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Just like this industry, we can't have this natural hairstyle industry if it's not clean, if it's not held to a standard, if it's not elevated. So it's so important that we understand further the importance of the natural hair license. It's important that we understand the importance of cleanliness. And I I keep saying that word over and over again, because that is why the license was created in the first place. Mm. And Deborah can tell you more about that. But yeah. I just wanted to just kind of like really stress the cleanliness part of it. And because one of the things that that we've seen recently is, is so is particularly in the state of New York, is this debate about whether or not braiders should have to have a license. And, you know, if I've been braiding for forever, do I need a license? And it, which is a very similar conversation to what people began with having within the natural hair community. And you all have advocated that uh, there should be a licensing structure and that that licensing structure helps to ensure that there's a uniformity of knowledge. It helps to ensure that uh, there are uniform standards and, and those standards again barbicide is a thing that we all recognize is a necessary element in maintaining cleanliness there was a time before barbicide was being used and before cleaning agents were being mandated and as a result people got a whole lot of hair disease and there was a whole lot of you know hair things being spread from one head to another and so (laughs) so that makes perfect sense to me the idea of deregulation taking those those rules away where is that coming from who is pushing this effort this idea because i one of the things I am aware of um, is that when folks like Diane C. Bailey and others were going up to Albany in the state of New York to get the first license that would allow black women to come out of their homes and actually open up salons, our law center, the Center for Law and Social Justice, where I'm privileged to serve as executive director now, back in the 80s when I was just a wee little, little thing and a little, just a little child. Um, but back in the 80s, they went and they fought alongside and helped to draft that legislation because there was a recognition that black women and black men and black people should be able to have professional salons where they are engaging in this type of hair care. That required a license. It required permission from the state, the same way that other forms of, of hair care do once you're leaving your home and going into a salon space. Deborah, can you talk with us about the the argument? Where are we seeing this effort at deregulation? Because there are folks across the country who are saying, we don't need this. This is ridiculous. It's a tool of the white man to disempower black people to require us to have a license. What do you say to that argument that we should have deregulation? We shouldn't have these rules and people should just do the hair that we've all known that we knew how to do from the time we was braiding blades of grass at our mama's knee. You know, this is mostly a conversation led by the Institute of Justice, right? And this is, you know, let's be clear about what we're talking about, right? When you talk about deregulation, right? The importance of regulation and then when you want to take it away. So when you talk about natural hair and the importance of it and the connection that we have through the African diaspora with our hair, what you're now saying is that we do not deserve to have the highest standard of professional care. Mm. 
across the board, whether that's education, whether that's being um, addressed quickly, whether that is being seen and heard, you know, those things matter. Hmm. And when you fall under that spell, because that's what it is, and you think that you don't deserve to have that sort of highest standard, there's an issue with that. Hmm. So you have to move away, move away those shadows and look at what the real conversation is being had by us people that look like you, right? Mm. That are concerned about your existence from inside out, top to bottom. Mm. You mentioned the Institute for Justice, which is an organization that has uh, the license requirement or or advocating to end the license requirement for braiders. That's one of their uh, areas that they focus on heavily. This organization has uh, litigated, according to the website, 14 cases for natural hair braiders. They've won three victories in federal court that helped to engage, uh, bring in reforms in 10 states. They've they've published a report uh, called Barriers to Braiding, how job-killing licensing law. God, job-killing. My goodness. Job-killing licensing laws tangle natural hair care in needless red tape. And and so there are folks within our community, the black community, who do believe that they, they want to fight against these regulations and rules. And what I hear you all saying is pointing out the dangers of that. Aaron, talk with us about what the world looks like if there are no regulations for natural hair braiding and styling. Why do you see that this is a problem? Uh, why is what the Institute for Justice is fighting for? Why is this problematic in your perspective? Um, it's problematic because I feel that they are, you know, utilizing a culture to push their agenda. Huh. Okay. I feel that a lot of times, you know, a lot of people or, but I, I, I don't want to say a lot of people, our people, because the other people, they do know what our hair means to us. Mm. Obviously when we came here, they shaved our heads to remove our identity because mm. they know our hair is our glory. Right. Mm. So now in 2023, we have a group of people that are basically devaluing Black women. You huh. know, they're saying, hey, you know, you don't need licensing. Your, your, your hair doesn't matter. Your health doesn't matter because our hair is directly correlated to our health. Mm. And so if it is that we don't have reg- regulation or rules or standards and, and best practices in place, then we are going to open up Pandora's box mm. of mess. And we already see it again with, you know, the uh, so many black women with hair loss issues. Yeah. That's due to poor practices. That's due to lack of understanding of scalp diseases and disorders. Mm. So it's really a need. We like there has to like you can, okay, for example, if we didn't have rules and regulations in the United States of America, okay? Mm-hmm. It will be a free for all, but we have a constitution, we have amendments, we have laws, we have regulations, but th- that's all for a reason is to keep an order of some sort and a standard. Huh. Now, I'm not saying that we have to agree with all the laws and the regulations out there, but we do have to advocate for them to work for us and not against us. And without any type of standard set in place, that puts us at a disadvantage health-wise, you know, hair-wise. Like, if we want to grow hair, we're always, you know, growing hair oil. Like, that's why everybody's always rushing to make this growing hair oil because (laughs) they don't understand that the issue is not about the oil. Mm. The issue is the scalp. You Mm. need to go see a dermatologist. You need to go see a trichologist. You need to have a professional hairstylist that's going to say, hold on, stop. 
I can't do this style to you today because you need to go see someone that can remedy what's happening with your hair. Wow. You know what's interesting? If I may chime in. Yes, yes. And as you as you do, I just want to note that I have looked up, I've gone to the board of directors for this organization, Institute for Justice. Not a single black person among the board. Not one. It's an entirely almost all white man board of directors. Yes. One white woman. I don't understand. How did all of these white men come to care so much about a regulatory scheme? set of laws that ensure that there is going to be profitability and safety and a set of minimum standards that that we have to adhere to when we're saying that you are a natural hair care. It's just interesting to me that this entire it's all white. There's not a single black person on the website unless it's the people that are their clients. Uh, And and when it comes to this hair conversation, I'm just very curious about this. This is very interesting to me. I do want to say this one thing before you, you say something, Deborah. It's this is why it's so important. I understand a lot of us, I don't want to vote. I'm not voting. Okay, don't vote, but go change the damn law. Mm. Okay, go be a part of legislation. So that way, you know, you're not having, like you said, a board of seven white men and one white woman Mm. making rules and regulations to govern your body. Like how make that make sense? Wow. So it, it's like we have to think of this in a bigger way. This is political. This is an, a direct attack on our hair. And if we don't look at it as so, then we're going to be left behind like we, you know, sometimes are. Hmm. So huh. that, that, I'm, I get so riled up about this. Yeah, I was, I, I was just shocked by that. That's why alarming. I needed to say something. Uh, Deborah, go right ahead. You, you'd wanted to make yeah, a it's point. It's very alarming. And I'm so glad you brought up that point because that's essentially what I was trying to say. This information that is being fed to you by people that don't look like you, you have to stop, mm. listen, and look, right? When you hear the natural the natural hair sound break coalition and listen to what we're saying, and it's from people that look like you, listen. Mm. It is advocacy at its highest for you, which includes me. Mm. And I'm very concerned about me. Mm. I want the best for me. Mm. And our daughters and our now, children. granted there were some things that so back in the 90s when we advocated for the lions it was very intentional i want people to understand that it was very intentional all of us were were at that time doing hair we wanted more Mm. right we wanted more for ourselves for our direct population the african diaspora right and so we advocated for that right but were there things that needed to be updated absolutely so let's fast forward to where we are now diane DeCosta, diane bailey the textbooks are updated Mm. inclusive right our now the different variety of ways that you can get your license we're on it because we want it accessible Right. Don't function from fear, because that's how they are getting a lot of our sisters from fear. Mm. Right. It's not about deportation. There's some language barriers. There's some financial barriers. We have the spectrum of opportunities for us to succeed. When she succeeds, I succeed. And that's what this is about. Mm. Yes. And one more thing. In the 90s, when they were advocating for the license, it was not just black women. It was sisters from the diaspora as well. So, so there were African graders. black Americans, but braiders from all over the world. Yes, it was a unity. Mm. It was a togetherness. Yes. There was no, no, no institute of justice coming to create a divide. Mm. Because that's what they're huh. doing, is they're creating a divide. It's, it's us, them. No, it's we. 
It's because late. without we, they can't be them. Mm. So we have a, it, it's, this is an interesting discussion. I'm, I'm going to be reaching out to the Institute for Justice. I'd love to hear what they have to say about this. I've seen the report and I think, you know, there's certainly something is, there is certainly something to be said uh, for this notion that uh, people should be able to engage in a craft. If you are in your home, you want to engage in a craft, you, you want to do your skill, engaging your skill. I think that's a beautiful thing. But when you leave your home, and you go into a professional setting and I, the, the, the public, a member of the public come to you thinking that you have a particular skill set and maybe you do have this raw talent, but I'm, I'm going to presume that the combs you use in my hair have been sanitized, whether they are or not. I don't know. I'm just going to presume that I'm going to presume that you are engaging in the practices that the cosmetology industry has, has sort of gathered around sort of the best practices. I, I won't actually know that because, but I, I look at that wall and I see your license on the wall. That tells me something that communicates something to me. When we hear from folks like Diane C. Bailey, uh, who reminds us that more than 40% of black women are experiencing some sort of hair loss, and it's not all because of the jerry curls, folks. <laughs> People's hair is coming out often because of bad practices, over styling. You've got stylists who are stylists, yes, but hair care knowledgeable, no. There's a difference between knowing how to braid it, flip it, run it, rub it down, oh no, and recognizing how to actually ensure that your body is going to get the treatment that it needs so that your hair will continue to grow. And when you're considering the amount of hair loss, when you're considering the amount of, of scalp maladies that so many of us have, the fact that going to a trichologist or a dermatologist is not even typically a part of the conversation when black women are suffering from hair loss. The idea that we would remove regulations and remove requirements for people to learn how to properly care for the hair, it, it is something that, that troubles me a bit. While I understand, you know, if you in your house, you in your basement, in your kitchen, and I know you ain't licensed, that's one thing. I, I kind of expect, I'm, I'm playing, you know, it, it's a risk, it's a gamble, it's a bet. But if you're in a salon and you're engaging in this work in a professional space, I should not have to take a risk in that space because my expectation is that you have been properly trained and properly trained doesn't just mean that you know how to do a braid over or under or, you know, or add extensions or make them boho braids versus just traditional extension. It means, do you know how to care for the scalp from which my hair grows? So I, I thinking differently about this whole concept of regulations when it comes to hair care, because I get it. I, I see folks who are like, I don't want to go to cosmetology school. I understand that. But if you're going to be in a salon, I didn't want to go to law school to have to learn how to advocate. And I didn't go to law school to have to learn how to advocate. But I can be a great advocate. But if I don't know how to present those arguments in the court in a way that the court is prepared to receive it, my excellent talent, my raw talent is not enough. Just because I've been braiding blades of grass since the time I, before I could walk. If you come to me and your hair's falling out and I ain't got no insurance and I'm just going to braid over all your bald spots and not even tell you about the extra ones that I saw this time that wasn't there the last time. There mm. has to be a, a recognition that black women, we are worth the investment. And if you are going mm -hmm. to serve us professionally, then perhaps you should get the professional skills that will ensure that your raw talent is built upon in a way that ensures that we are going to to not just you know, be bald headed Betty's out in this piece. <laughs> I ain't mad uh, at being bald. I ain't mad at it. When I was bald by intention, right. that was one thing. When it's intentional. When it's intentional. Marie, when it's when intentional, intentional. When you choose to shave your head, right? Yeah. yeah. When you choose it. This is yeah. a complex issue. It, it's a complex conversation, but there are reasons why uh, we have folks like you who come on with us and, and share with us so, those complexities so we can talk through those nuances. And if you are out there, you are one of those folks who says, I should be able to braid hair and I shouldn't have to take, you know, you know have to worry about a license. Well, I you know, let us know. I, maybe there's another side of this conversation. Well, maybe we'll have you on. But I, I pers personally, if I'm sitting in your chair, you in a salon, 
I have some expectations. <laughs> and if you have, I have some right. expectations. But may I say this? Yes, please go ahead, Deborah. No, we did not start. None of us started as a licensed braider. That's right. Right? That's None right. of us started that way. Yeah. But at some point, we decided with intention to take it further. Mm-hmm. Right? I can braid very well, hon. I yeah. taught myself. And I was around amazing women that helped to continue to teach. Mm-hmm. Right? But I saw the need... Because I'm interfacing with the public and it matters to me. Mm. It mattered so much that at the time there were no natural hair schools. I went to cosmetology school by choice because I needed that paper that said I had some knowledge of the science Mm. of hair. Now it wasn't specifically my hair, but it was hair. And I got to learn a lot. And then when I got the opportunity to advocate for our own, as a collective, we did. Yeah. Then I learned more. And it's a constant state of education, mm. right? I'm constantly updating my education. That's right. My education. Because it matters to me, Lorraine. Yeah. It matters. Yeah. I just think black people are worth investing in our in our skills. Like I think in ourselves, in our our self care. Yeah, yeah. And I again, you if you are you know my girlfriend. (laughs) Shout out to Erinissa. When we was in college, she was the hair, the dorm nails and hair. Anybody who needed their hair done, their nails done, you went to Erinissa, and she did a great job. I don't know if Erinissa actually might have had her cosmetology license because she was just that intentional about it. But it's one thing when you at at your girlfriend's house and she just throwing some braids in your hair. But if you hiring yourself out, you're saying I am a professional it's not just do you have the skill to make me look good do you have the the knowledge to ensure that my hair will continue to grow and that my beauty is being cared for in a way that is in adherence with the science and i'm not talking about the white man science it's not that it's science your scalp is skin and you need to understand how skin is impacted by these things i want to say something to what you just said go ahead Aaron. final comment go ahead the the science the science you said the white man science so (laughs) just a fun fact there are only three percent Black dermatologists, okay? Oh my God. Typically, when we go to a dermatologist, we're going to a white dermatologist who, who, dermatologist who may not necessarily understand our skin. Mm-hmm. I have a woman right now who is suffering from alopecia and the dermatologist wants to just give her a pill. But we mm-hmm. know it's deeper than that, right? Mm-hmm. So it's really important that we have more of us becoming dermatologists in the world, mm-hmm. okay? We, we are calling on you to become that. Yeah. Like trichologists, amazing. Go the extra step. Become a dermatologist. It's a totally different pay grade. Mm. Um, so if we want to talk about pay and 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 sustainability and salary, you're gonna get paid as a dermatologist. Mm. That's all I need. More of them. And if you are losing your hair, stop going to. I'm gonna need you to employ. I'm, I'm, we're gonna have another conversation about alopecia. I need us to have that conversation. Yes, we <laughs> fact, need to I'm have a, that I'm gonna let Natasha know that's the conversation we need to have as well. We need to talk about alopecia. We need to talk about uh, skin maladies and how they factor into our ability to care for our hair. I'm so grateful for you all. I'm so grateful for the natural, uh, the, the coalition that you all have put together I, that I'm also a part of. Uh, the Natural Hairstyle and Braid Coalition. You know, I just love being a part from the start. Uh, but I, I really appreciate you all sharing some time with us. It's a nuanced conversation. And I'm looking forward to the fact that you all will be with us again so we can continue this dialogue. Really appreciate you. Uh, Deborah Hairbay, where can people follow you and connect with you? And then Erin, I have the same question for you. So always through the Natural Hair Braid Coalition, you can find me there. But specifically with my brand, it's OM, OhMyHeavenlyHair.com. You can find me on my website and on social media at underscore 
O-M-H-H-I-N-C. And I just want to have this small note because I'm very sensitive as a braider by choice mm. to have braids be seen in a very specific way. So alopecia is running rapid, rampant in our community. And certainly part of it is lack of skill and understanding of scalp and hair. Mm. However, it is not the sole reason why alopecia is happening. So I did want to be clear about that. Thank you for that. And see, I'm not a professional hair, so you shouldn't be taking no professional advice from me. They're the experts. I just help facilitate the conversation. Erin, how can people connect with you? So again, um, the underscore NHBC on Instagram, or you can follow me at genuinely.dope on Instagram as well. Um, And you can see all of my information there, all of my other pages, my lawn, all of the things. So genuinely.dope. And don't forget to go to nhbcoalition.org and take our community survey. And we also have one for professionals. So be sure to take that because we need real time data from our industry that we don't have. That's right. That's right. Really appreciate you two being with us today. Thank you so much. 